Welcome to episode 254 of Texing, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hey, Jason, how you doing? Doing all right. How about yourself? You look a little sleepy. A bit tired. Um, I wasn't expecting this podcast because you told me that we weren't going to do one today. Yeah, well, I thought I had a conference call scheduled at four for four, and uh, oh. when that didn't happen, I figured, you know, it'd be better to just get this get the show out of the way. We can do it on the weekend, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I prefer to do it at this time because then I don't just kind of screw up weekend plans, whatever they are. And then mm-hmm. I don't. Our weekends are pretty complicated with all the kids, and then you. You guys, it always seems like you're you're going to Orange County. You're not going to Orange County. Things change, and then you know. Yeah, we're good. We're good in the weekend. I can do weekend mornings, but I'm not good weekend afternoons. And you're good weekend afternoons, but you can't do weekend mornings. Yeah, so, so I figure I better just yeah. knock it out. Um, oh, but I'm tired because you know I've had a really hard week. It's Friday. It's the end of the day. It's raining and it's gray outside. Rain? It's not even that. It's just a little gray. Oh, just the sun poking through. Our our um basement was been flooding for the last two days because the because on this property, you know, I'm on this this property here, and um, for whatever reason, it the the sewage decided to flood. So just that's why there's all the workmen right outside right, there. Right. So basically, roots, tree roots grew through the the sewers, like the main outlet for the big ten bedroom house and for our house. We share the same sewage system. Okay. Okay. And so it was completely blocked, and both of the houses, the basements flooded. Yes. So spent a night running up and down the stairs, like. You know, getting water out the basement. Sewage or water? Uh, well, basically, it was sewage. But the oh thing is, God. the thing is, it wasn't. Uh, I don't know why. I mean, it, even though it was coming through the sewage system, the water didn't seem to be that bad. It was almost see through, but it didn't smell great. I will admit that. So it's been pretty rough. All right. Well, I guess you have an excuse. <laughs> so there's that, and then we've been working super hard with on Digidu. We've been building a grade book. All right. Um, now that's been really complicated because. Um, just because of the complexity of the system. So there's been a lot of technical challenges all week as well. So the last thing I wanted was you to walk through the door and tell well, me. Well, you got me Hey, anyway. it's texting time. <laughs> well, it's game time, so it's time to talk about up. texting. I was talking about texting and the name texting. Yep. So we were talking about maybe potentially changing the name. And you'd said Generation Zero because, like, anything's better than texting. Well, I've been thinking... Even let's say we change it to Generation Zero or to anything else, right? Yeah. So we could, in theory, change it by going to the website and just changing the name. But then it's going to be really weird because then we'll be saying, oh, it's episode 255 of Generation Zero. But there was like, you know, yeah, there was no episodes I, before. So we'd have kind of have to, you know, we'd have to start from scratch. You know, we'd have to it's be like episode- the artist formerly known as Prince. Ex- yeah, it would be that probably. The show and, formerly known as Texas. And so I was yeah. just thinking, well, maybe it's just easier to just, I mean, at the end of the day, as someone, I think it was, um, was it Ryad who made the point that basically iPad is a horrific name? iPad. It's, yeah. it's an awful name, but people don't really care. Like, that's just the the thing. Yeah. I Actually, I agree with you because I think you, I don't know if you CC'd me on an email or it was a comment you replied to, but basically you were saying that it probably isn't a good idea to change it. And I was thinking, yeah, it's probably the same thing. I, I think Because so. at this point, it doesn't really matter. And... Um, you know, and even Generation Zero, even if, even if we did that, I mean, Sandy absolutely hates that name. Yeah, so I would yeah. actually be like practically starting a fight with her. If I right, said, right. Name it. We're gonna rename it Generation Zero. She'd be just like, you know, you guys. Are yeah, idiots, I mean, so. I, I don't. You know, I don't really think Generation Zero does does us any kind. The only thing it does is it ties together with the song. But nobody cares about the song. But nobody cares, right? It's just it's just a song. Yeah. So all right. So Tech Zing it is. We have yeah. to live with it. 
at least yeah. until you know maybe until the show's over. episode 500 and we're like oh should we change the name you know yeah <laughs> it's you know some point the show will end and uh you know maybe we'll take a break for six months or a year and then pick up a new, create oh, that's a new not show. A bad idea. So, i mean stack overflow did that right yeah, but they never really picked anything up. I mean, yeah. they, they, they started going, doing something else, but it never really got going again, I yeah. think, did it? I don't know. And then the guys over at, uh, what's it, the guy? Um, uh, over at 5x5, John Syracuse, yep. he, he, he had a podcast, Hypercritical, and then he did it for 100 shows, and then he called it a wrap, and then uh, he, uh, he started doing a different show, you know. And did that go somewhere? Oh, yeah, he does the same one called the Accidental Tech Podcast with the <laughs> uh, what's it the guy who does who did I um, Instapaper, mm. um, whatever. So yeah, but uh, yeah, all right. Well, that's cool. So you're talking about the grade book. You said I think you were telling me one of the reason it was complicated is because you can add or remove content dynamically. Yeah. So basically, you know, kids could exactly teachers can be can assign different lessons. Um, and they can mix it up as well, so they can kind of differentiate those lessons. And so you can't like a grade book is about typically, uh, from what I understand anyway, from what I've seen in the marketplace, it's like it's comparing like for like. So you know, you compare a bunch of kids who took a test, and you kind of have have a column that'll show the test results for test A mm-hmm. to all the all those kids. Well, the problem is for us, everything's so dynamic. You know, how do you do that? Because it's it's differentiated data. Mm-hmm. so you know we're, we're coming to some answers but it's it's still complicated and it looks weird you know it still looks weird even with the with the answers being absolutely correct it still does look a bit weird because like it'll say you know one kid may be out of 20 points another kid will be out of 15 points right in the what same. does that mean right. well exactly yeah so it's like you know but but for if you look at it from a percentage point of view it makes sense then it makes yeah. sense. So you just, you've just, the main thing we've realized is, is potent, we have to drive it through percentages rather than points. Yeah. What's their mastery level of the material? As exactly. To, yeah. Yeah. That yeah. makes more sense anyway. Because that's really all you really, the teacher really cares yeah. about, right? Yeah. Well, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, uh, there's a, there's a huge, just this massive war that broke out on Eve Online. Did I mention that last mm-hmm. show? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did I mention that? Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about. I, I read a couple of articles about it. I guess they had these, they have these ships that are called Titans. That are just these massive constructions that take months to build, in you know, cost of fortune and whatever the, the currency is of the game. Yeah, and the whole thing was the whole thing happened because I guess, an unpaid bill, because of an unpaid bill, mm-hmm. like something like I, I I'm not exactly sure how the economy works there, but it was just it was just kind of by accident almost that yeah. it happened. And, um, you know, like a lot of wars in the, in the real world, they happen out of miscommunications, misunderstandings, and then it just snowballs. Well, talk us through, like, how did that snowball happen? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess uh, we have all these different factions, and these factions, I guess, have ownership of certain systems or segments of systems, you know, territories or whatever. Yeah. And, um, and there's sort of these temporary truces that happen, and, you know, and... Uh, I don't know. I, but like, I, I mean, like from from a lack of payment. Oh, so l- let me guess. Some guy was assigned to a system, but he didn't pay. And so the system and as a result, and, so the system became up for grabs, and so these other people, other factions, moved in and grabbed it. Or oh, is that something. what it was like? So, something yeah, along okay. those lines, you know. Because, like I said, I don't, 
I don't play Eve Online, so I, I I don't understand the the subtleties of it. In fact, I don't even understand the broad strokes really. Yeah. But um, I just thought it was fascinating that that kind of thing happened, and I guess the amount of destruction that happened was equivalent to three hundred thousand dollars in real world money. That's hilarious. So they, I guess, the biggest war that ever happened. Twelve titans had been destroyed, and it was like a certain, you know, a few years back or something, and it was still something that people still talk about. Like it was that was the Great War. Well, seventy five titans got destroyed <laughs> this time. You That's know? why it was so big. And they said that the, the there was so much activity in the servers that the, that they, they they introduced this time dilation, so it, like time moves ten. At 10% of normal time because they can't move, make things happen quickly enough on the servers. Awesome. So, so that kind of gives you some time to think about strategy. Yeah, yeah. So, and then you have, because you only control certain things. Like you can be part, I guess, I guess you have some leadership position within a faction. You have, you know, people who have different ranks or they control different, you know, number of ships or smaller ships or whatever. And it's just, you know, and then you have, they said they had to, you had to have in your faction, you really need people in different time zones around the world. Because things happen. They're constantly happening. Whether you're sleeping or not, I mean, the world is still, ha- you know, the universe is still moving forward. Mm. So, like, they're talking, there's this one group, they're called, like, you know, I can't remember the name from like They're like the Russian faction, you know. It's like a bunch of guys in Russia who were awake when this thing started to happen, where a lot of the <laughs> Americans were asleep and people in Japan and, you know, these kinds of things. So, um, it was fascinating. Then they, they, well, they had some, like, a goon squad is, like, one of them. And there was, like, clusterfuck coalition cfc <laughs> <laughs> that was a great name you know and I, I mean they just have all they have really really creative names mm-hmm. um, it looked kind of fun almost to do but i i was i was just i was reading i think it was on hacker news or something and people were kind of some of the comments were along the lines of that people had played but they at the end of the day they felt like it started to feel like work almost yeah managing that much and they said that, one guy said it was like playing a spreadsheet <laughs> you know like because it was so involved and so intricate yeah. and kind of slow moving in a way and a lot that's of what football manager was like i remember or soccer manager do you remember yeah. those those games where you were like the manager of clubs did you play that game i no i did but a friend of mine was obsessed with that and uh i just it just always looked like work to me i'm like i didn't i wouldn't want to do that yeah yeah a friend of mine uh the friend of mine who did actually become a manager of a professional soccer team gustav oh yeah yeah he he managed uh hammerby which is a Swedish soccer team and uh, I remember when he was you know obviously much younger living with us here in the US he had some soccer manager game but it was all text based there was no games being played it was yeah. just like a like I said it was like a spreadsheet or something but he was fascinated about it and his buddy who came over and visited for a couple weeks they just sat in front of the computer for hours and hours and hours just looking at these numbers and you know I don't know I guess that's probably looks that, that's what it looks like to people who see what we do yeah. Like, why? You're just moving numbers around? I mean, why is that interesting? <laughs> All right, I got a story to talk about. Okay. So, um, did you see this cryptography breakthrough could make software unhackable? No. This was very cool. Um, uh, I saw it, uh, I guess, like f- three or four days ago. Mm-hmm. So, basically, uh, the key point is, is it's, it's this guy, Amit Sahi, who's been working on this problem, basically wanting to make... Um, unhackable software right for like 15 years or whatever and at some at some stage his focus started to shift away from the the cipher type of thing to obfuscation so you know the way you know the way uh javascript obfuscation works right Mm -hmm. so you obfuscate java and you change the you change the name you change the name of the functions it's pretty difficult to read so but what what himself and a lot of people who 
What he, not what, himself. Okay, <laughs> what he <laughs> and the people in, in certainly in the article think is they think that it's going to be possible to create unbreakable obfuscation. Okay. The team's obfuscator works by transforming a computer program into what Sahi calls a multilinear jigsaw puzzle. Each piece of the program gets obfuscated by mixing in random elements that are carefully chosen so that if you run the garble program in the intended way, the randomness cancels out and the pieces fit together to compute the correct output. But if you try to do anything else with the program, the randomness makes each individual puzzle piece look meaningless. Mm-hmm. Um, this obfuscation, obfuscation scheme is unbreakable, the team have showed, provided that a certain newfangled problem about lattices is as hard to solve as the team thinks it is. So that's kind of where it's at. Uh, I don't actually think that they've released any open source software, but I think that they have software, kind of working software internally in the team. Okay. You know, working on the problem, and uh, I just thought you'd think it was interesting. No, yeah, that's cool. Oh, very much. Have you ever, have you yourself ever reverse engineered a program? <laughs> uh, you know, something in a very kind of maybe in, in like a very childish way, like when when the Mac OS was first out using ResEdit, you know, for example. Uh-huh. Like I changed strings and things like that in programs, yeah. like customized programs by hacking into the resources and changing the strings. Yeah. Right. Right. But not, not properly, you know, not what a, a real hacker would be doing, you know? Or like, uh, I guess the other one is, you know, when looking at how the JavaScript works on a page, when they've kind of compressed it, kind of prettifying it and trying to understand what's going on. I mean, sometimes even you can, you can go through obfuscated code and sort it out, but it takes a lot of work. But this is the thing I don't understand because like, even obfuscated code needs to run in a machine time, right? Machine space. Surely you can like observe what's happening at that level and kind of hack it, you know, get in there or something, right? That's what, that's the thing I don't understand. Yeah. You know, I don't, I know so little about it that I really can't say anything. Unless what they're saying is they basically create this kind of entire virtual system that runs in a kind of meaningless random way. It only works within itself in a virtual way. Right. I don't know. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So, um, what else you got? <laughs> well, actually, that's the one link that I, I found. But that's I did. the one link. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I did notice that's interesting. Um, do you have you ever seen GoPro? You know the GoPro uh, video camera. Yeah, yeah. I just saw there that they've uh, filed for IPO, which is kind of interesting. You're gonna think about buying some I- GoPro? Well, that's stock. not a bad idea. I mean, they're pre- it's pretty cool hardware. You know? Yeah. Well, that, I mean, generally, I think it's a good investment strategy is just investing in things that you use mm-hmm. that you know that you think are really cool i mean obviously you're you're not evaluating all the information about the market's place and the competitors and you know and the management and their capital structure and all those sorts of things but aside from those things if, if they're still making a great product you know and it is a reasonably large market then like, it's, it's not a bad idea just to like bitcoin yeah Except for the fact that Russia has banned Bitcoin now. They have banned it, huh? They have banned it. Uh, Russia, as, as TechCrunch say, Russia doesn't do things by half. Bitcoin can no longer be used by individuals and legal entities anymore. Wow. <laughs> and then also, um, Mt. Gox stopped, uh, there, like it had stopped serving out uh, withdrawals. Yeah. So Bitcoin had a bit of a crash. It went down to like 700-ish. So it was like seven fifty today. Yeah, yeah. No, it went up again. Yeah, I was thinking. So I'm thinking about cashing in some Bitcoin and buying some. I would. I, I don't. Doggy I'm, coin, doggy right? coin, and some kitty coin. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You know. Did I? I don't know if we talked about this. Show. No, you haven't talked about kitty Ki- coin. Kitty coin. It's 
K-I-T-E-8, Kite coin. Yeah. And it's like the dog coin thing. So you know what the ticker symbol is? What? Meow. <laughs> <laughs> but but don't you think that this is this is kind of like edging Bitcoin in the direction of what that guy predicted, like the 10 bucks per Bitcoin valuation, what's, like halfway through this year. What's edging it? Well, Russia, Russia, Russia banning it, like problems with Mt. Gox, like there's price going Mt. down. You know, I don't think so. I mean, there's been problems with Mt. Gox. You know, there have been a lot of problems, consistently been problems with Mt. Gox for the past year. I mean, you can't, you can't, oh, you can't do a, a read about an article about Bitcoin without someone complaining about how Bitcoin, uh, Bit, Mt. Gox is slow or that I, you know, you can't get your money out or whatever. I mean, it's, it's 700 and I think Mt. Gox, right I think now. Mt. Gox is going to end up being the friendster of Bitcoin. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, that's yeah. A good, that's a nice way of putting it. It's seven hundred and nine right now. Yeah. So, so that's so that's and you saw it seven fifty early on today. Seven sixty. So it's it's all over the place right now. So yeah, I'm really glad I bought those three bitcoins. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, yeah, well, that's like you don't you don't you you first of all you don't invest or trade money that you can't afford to lose. Right. Yeah. And you can't expect it to always be up. Right. So if it's something you think ultimately will win in the end. And the question is, do you think Bitcoin will win in the end or some kind of cryptocurrency? I mean, I don't know if Bitcoin itself will win. I think some kind of cryptocurrency or cryptocurrencies will, will stand this test of time. Mm-hmm. Um, there may, I, I mean, I think that Bitcoin could end up being the friendster of cryptocurrencies as well. I mean, crypto, I mean it, could, it could turn out that there are improved versions of it like it's the the, you know like the first the first kid in a family has it the roughest in terms of getting enough freedom when they're like teenagers and stuff but the second and third kids have a much easier time right because they've kind of broken the parents in yeah right and there and then i i think the same thing uh is having bitcoin there's a lot of hand wringing and confusion and restriction and stuff but at some point though it will become socially normalized that's not a big deal. It's just like people, you remember a lot of older people, especially like, would never use a credit card online. Mm-hmm. Ever. It was, the, it was crazy from yeah. their perspective. But now, of course, 10, it's 15 years past yeah. is fine. And I, I think Bitcoin, will, it, it's not like Bitcoin will replace credit cards completely, will replace money. It will fit into the economic ecosystem. Well, I still think there's two separate issues. There's the Bitcoin and the protocol that it invented. Like okay. the Bitcoin protocol, which is basically... A peer-to-peer proof-of-work protocol. That's right. that's the key. So, like, I think a lot of software is going to be based off that. Yeah. Like, for example, you know, a decentralized domain name system. Right. You, you can have based off that. You could have many, many, many things based off that, which is pretty yeah. cool. I, I think you're right. I think. Well, I think I. I don't know if I said this on the show, but it's it is it, similar to how GitHub works. It's like a, 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 a GitHub has this 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 sort of low-level principle of you know. You know, I don't know what what term we use it, but it's a distributed kind of peer-to-peer system. Yeah. You know that 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 worked off of. I mean, what's it's not patches, but whatever, whatever the terminology is, it it, it's sort of similar to Bitcoin in that way. And I think distributed, when you're talking about protocols, open and distributed tend to work really well, as opposed to something that's just controlled by a central entity. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to products. Or services, I think private solutions tend to win. Like I was talking to, uh, I guess, or I was exchanging some emails with my buddy Tariq, and he was talking about how he thought that distributed exchanges were the future. 
of cryptocurrency. And I don't think that's true. I don't think, I, I think when it comes to users having, interacting with something, they, they respond to things that are, have fit and finish and have, you know, have user inter, user experience, right? Whatever the user experience is. And when you look at things like, when you think of things that are done by lots of people in a distributed manner where nobody's actually getting paid or, or especially when people don't have to do certain things, that kind of stuff just doesn't happen. Open source software, the vast majority of it does not have that kind of documentation and ease of use. It's, it's the rare open source project that has really high quality documentation and tutorials and handholding and support, right? It's only the, the very top 0.001% and everything else doesn't work. So if you, if you look at, if you look at music, you know, it was like, you remember when we had the first music sharing stuff, it was like Napster actually worked pretty well, right? But uh, things like, um, what was it? No, I started with a, you know, what was the things that came after Napster? That were uh, more distributed. I can't remember what. Starts the G G N uh, news something, but they sucked. Kind of. They kind of. There was no central server, so it just kind of. Mm-hmm. And I, I. I don't know. I, I. So when it comes to exchanges, BitTorrent. huh? BitTorrent. Yeah, BitTorrent. But even BitTorrent is kind of. Those kind of solutions only apply to to geeks. Did you know that? Um, or, or wait, they only apply to geeks because geeks are willing to put up with crappy yeah, user experience right. because they have some esoteric knowledge and they can trick things out in a certain way. But nobody else cares enough for that. They're like, dude, I just want my handheld. I want this thing to work. I want it to be simple and fast and clean. And when I don't want to get confused, and if I do get confused, I want something to help me out. Did you know that um, Doggy Coin, Kitty Coin, all those are basically built on top of Bitcoin? Right. Well, basically, they just. They just cloned it and changed a few small I'm, things. I'm not even sure they cloned it. Like, I, th- I think that the basic Bitcoin server, like the service, peer-to-peer service, I think they run on top of that service. Oh, do they really? I think so. I, I could be wrong. But I think they, or, or I mean, maybe they, maybe they cloned it. But I think that there's definitely certain, for example, Litecoin. I think Litecoin in some ways runs on the actual Bitcoin service. Oh, does it? Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know as much about that. You know, yeah. Guyon has, uh, has been doing a lot of work in that area. He knows, um, a I'm lot sure some fact checking pedants going to like say that's a lot of rubbish. Well, yeah. I, well, hopefully somebody listening knows, you know, they can respond or Guyon likely will respond to this <laughs> in the comments with a clarification of how that works. So I'm just looking here. Uh, China's huge 3d printers soon able to print automobile sized metal objects. Oh my God, how are we going to compete with China? Not only do they have like all the people in the world to build all the stuff in the world, now they've got 3D printers that can build houses and cars. Well, That's going to be I mean, like, if they have, whoo. I mean, we'll have them too. I mean, the thing is, yeah. is that China is actually, you know, at least Japan and I think China is building factories over here for some of their companies because right. the, the market is here and they don't have to pay for the shipping. And, and as we've talked before, ultimately, it's not going to be the workers, it's going to be the robots that are doing everything. All the low page, all the low paid, low wage um, workers will be will be completely automated out of existence over the next fifty years, you know, slowly yep. but surely. So, you know, you will have these three D factories, three D printing factories. It's going to be a different types. world. Yeah. Oh, so so you think that? So you think? Okay. So, because I, I was talking about like the kind of local. Uh, you know, the whole MakerBot thing. So it's kind of going internally into a house. So on an individual level, you can make, for example, an iPhone in the future because you'll be able to print circuit boards, you'll be able to print the casing, you'll be able to do all that stuff on a local level. But you're saying there's like 
another server architecture level higher like if we were comparing it to computer architectures it's not just the personal computer it's like the mainframe so you're saying like there's this kind of mainframe factory which will basically build i don't know what 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 will you go to it with you'll go to it with i think i think 3d printers there might be like special case cases for it you know there might be like food 3d printers or cute little things for <laughs> stuff but it's going to be just kind of a a novelty thing i think i, I think so it's not going to be like a blockbuster on every high street you know you can kind of go in and get stuff 3d printed why not i mean think about it like why why wouldn't you have it like shut like like argos okay you know how argos works argos? Uh, okay in the uk we have something called argos which is basically Amazon, except without the internet. So what happens is you walk into this this store. It has this tiny shop front and a book about about ten inches thick. You can look through all the products, and then behind this tiny shop front is this massive warehouse. So you just order the products, right? So they just have this products in this kind of Amazon style. So it could be something like Argos, but that prints stuff. Yeah, you know, it might be true. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Look, I mean, I mean, I, I think it'll, you'll probably have a spectrum of solutions, right? Right. Um, I'm just not sure that there's going to be a killer app, right, for the 3D printer in the home like there is for computers. Right. I'm not sure. I, I think people are fundamentally just lazy, you know, and it just sounds kind of like work because you're going to print out pieces of things or parts like, what are you printing out? And, uh, and then you always have to have bring material like, you know. Well, know. that's only the beginning. I mean, surely there's going to be a point where. Well, what are it, we ta- if we're talking five thousand years in the future? Then who knows? Are we talking twenty <laughs> years? Or what are we talking? What's the time frame we're talking? Are we talking ten to fifteen years? Are we talking a hundred years? Are we talking? What are you talking about? Yeah, then it's basically replicator technology that I say is going to be the end of. And everyone's going to be end of artisan. Cash. Yeah, artisans. <laughs> which I, I call bullshit on that because people will become. Most people do not have a, uh, a very strong creative instinct, or, they, or, or the creative energy. They like the idea of being an artisan. <laughs> Yeah. But most of them are going to sit down and they're going to watch TV well, about other something. people being artisans. Yeah, that's fine. That's they're fine. just consumers. They're not so, artisans. So, they're just so basically, the society, the, the, what will happen with society is you'll have, I mean, how many percent of, peop, of people create right now are creators? Would you say 10%? 10%? Would you say 5%? What? No, like at best 1%, but that's even probably using create in sort of no, a I mean, loose like term. Creators. I mean, look at YouTube. I mean, you say that 1% of people put stuff up on YouTube? Well, first of all, you normally have, I think it's, I forget what the, um, it's like the power distribution and, and it's roughly like 1% create, 10% comment, and then another 90%, or, you know, 9% comment and then 90% are lurkers. Right. So, and that, so, that kind of applies to comments and So writing, that's probably what's going to happen to society. Once you've got repli- re- replicators that, that you shove dirt in and it gives you out a tomato, right? We're going to have 1% of society being these creators that create this amazing stuff that the rest of us kind of consume and watch, you know, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's, but again, it's like on a local level. So it's like people, there will be, there will probably be three printers for food, right? So people who are really into, into cooking and stuff like that, there might be a special 3D printer in the kitchen that's really made, that's really geared towards stuff like that, right? There might be some special types of 3D printers for things like that. But I mean, if, if we're just talking the next 10, 15 years... You know, yeah. I think what's really going to happen is that you're going to have these 3D printers are going to make a lot of factories much more efficient. Yeah, manufacturing is going to be more efficient. Um, you know, and and it will slowly erode at uh, factory workers. That's the, I think that's going to be the biggest uh, biggest thing on those. But you'll see, like you know, companies like they were ta- like I think Elon Musk was talking about this for at SpaceX. I mean, it allows them to make custom parts much more quickly. They don't have to 
you know, order parts and have them shipped in. They just go, okay, well, we want to experiment with this new titanium, you know, uh, washer or something like that. And they design it and print thing out and it's ready to go. Because there are, you know, I think I had read somewhere there's like these tight printers that can do titanium. And I, there was recent, there was just one I saw a couple of days ago that was printing the first 3D printer that can print carbon fiber. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. But the, the, on Hacker News, someone was saying, that it it's not real carbon fiber. Like the reason why carbon fiber is very strong is because it's kind of woven yep. carbon fiber versus this that would be very structured. So it might be much more brittle. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I, here's the thing. I always bet on human laziness. <laughs> and if you bet on human laziness, you'll win. And, right. and, the, and, the, and, the, and the fundamental thing is if you bet on people doing more or less, you know, most people will do less. There will be a small percentage of people who will do more, but you know, it's just that power distribution. There's a 1% or some fraction of 1% are super powered, right? They yeah. have, it's like a superpower. They can do all these things. But the vast majority of people are just going to be sitting back and, and appreciating or using. Okay, I've got something very cool for you, okay. right? Breakthrough, bionic hand restores amputee's sense of touch. For the first time ever, an amputee has been able to feel the sense of touch with an artificial hand thanks to a new system that transfers signals directly to his brain. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is kind of cool. Um, yeah, I, I was saying, I think it was on, um, showing me the picture. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, uh, it was on Futurescape, which I show, I, I recommended uh, a couple of times on the show, um, where they, they guess they were, they were talking to some roboticists and I guess one of the biggest challenges right now is getting robots that have a very high degree of sensitivity for like, for like the sense of touch, yeah. So tactile. like, it doesn't t- uh, like pick up an egg and crush it, kind of. Thing. Right. You know, it's like like dribbling a basketball, for instance, takes a lot of uh, sensation. Like, is there a, is there a slight rotation to the ball, or whatever? Like, we have incredibly sensitive fingertips. Did we talk about that on the show? Like, basically, they they saw that basically we we can feel the difference, but like at minute scales, yes. like minute scales. Like, that's was, right. did you did you mention that on the show? Or I don't was that think we ta- I don't think we talked about it on the show. That was that's incredible. It's like to to. You know, we can tell the difference between a retina surface, like printed it with that, you know, I don't know, like a thousand DPI versus five hundred DPI. Like you can tell the difference. Yeah. So, you know, I guess that's one of the one of the challenges for roboticists is building robots that can do that. But you know, you still you look at robots and they're so big and dumb and clumsy. It's just <laughs> like it's hard to see how they're going to be that useful in a general sense. Right now, anyway. Yeah, so that's robots for you. Big and dumb. Yeah. Yep. Right. So, well, so hold on a second. Have you got anything? Now I've been bringing everything up so far. Um. Yeah. So, well, I, you know, I figured I'd give an update on the um, math math team stuff. Oh, your math team madness. Yeah. So we did the uh, last week. We did the um, information night. Yeah. We got the uh, parents. Oh, you together. finally got the parents because you because the messages were delivered by kid mail. Right. So finally got an email address for everybody we had. So it was really, it was great. You know, we brought all the parents in and, you know, basically an hour long uh, meeting. We basically told them all the things that we're going to try and do. And, uh, you know, everyone was, the parents were really excited. So um, I, I don't know. I think this is, I think this is going to work. Um, it was funny. Uh, oh, and at the end of the, at the, at the end of the, at the end of the talk or whatever, it was applause because people were so excited about it, <laughs> you know, which was kind of cool. That's nice. Um, so, yeah, so that's encouraging. And then the kids seem really fired up about it. The um, Even that we had, a, you know, we do Tuesdays and Thursdays for an hour during yeah. the lunch period. And 
and the uh, the the kids of this last class were like just practically jumping out of their chairs. They were so like competitive and excited about like getting <laughs> the answers right to stuff. So oh, that's cool. So it's 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 coming along. You know, one of the things we're trying to figure out is like we're trying to figure out what's the right amount of homework, you know, for them to do or not. You know, and it's like if initially we were we were it was kind of the wrong kind of homework, and then we were it wasn't enough reinforcement, and then I think we assigned too much, and you're burning kids out. You know, and it's tricky, right? Like, what's the what's the right amount? You know, uh, you're talking about the the frustration regarding Colby that he's he's picked up from you the kind of social animal aspect, right? So for you in college, it was difficult because whenever there was people around, you kind of wanted to be part of the. Yeah, I always want to be right in the middle of everything. <laughs> like, if where, where, what's going on? Like, I want to be in the mix, right? And so it was a hard. It was hard for me to be buried away in the math or science library working on a problem set for five hours. Right, right. You know, I, I just found that difficult. And part of it was being young, you know, and part of it it was you know, it was about girls, right? Where are the where are the girls at, right? I mean, that was that was a big distraction. Well, because you're saying that Colby at home, whenever you work with him one-on-one at home, he's like, yep, gets the questions. Yep. hundred percent exactly right all the time. And only in class, that's just because of the distraction of the, the other kids, right? Yeah. He's, you know, and he's not the only one that's distracted. Right. You right. Know? I mean, it's, it's, it's lunchtime. Because they're all his friends as well. Well, yeah. Okay. So there's all his friends, you know, a lot of them are his friends. It's, there's 18 of them. So it's not like it's like five or six kids. Yeah. It's during their lunch period, so they're eating their lunches for the first 10 or 15 minutes. It is lunchtime when they're supposed to be taking a break. Yeah. And um, and so, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, so he has a challenge. I could tell he's going to have the same challenge. Especially, it's not going to be so bad in high school, junior high and high school, where you, you things are structured. Like, you have to go to class, and your homework's due the next day. It's when you get to college, yeah. you don't have to go to class. You can do whatever you want, right. And your right. paper's not due for three weeks, and you have, you know, one or two problem sets that are due in a week. And it's in, and then people are staying up. You know, you, you, you walk into the dorm, or, you know, and, you, you know, I would get off the elevator into the lobby uh, of our dorm, or, you know, and there'd be a dozen people sitting around talking at midnight, one in the morning. And I sure as hell could not just walk by and be like, oh, so I'm going to bed. A lot of people do. They would go to bed at like 11, 1130. I'd stay up to like, you know, on average, on average, I stayed up at least 230. You'll have to teach Colby about the new man plan. Right. So, yeah, that was the problem. So every, <laughs> so every quarter I'd be like, okay, like I'm, I'm starting fresh. I, now I'm going to get myself to go to bed. I'm going to get up. <laughs> in time for breakfast, I'm going to get my ass to class, <laughs> and, and that would last for about two weeks. And that was the new man plan. I called Every that the quarter. new man plan, nice. and, and I would tell my, uh, you know, my roommate Dave Rogan, he would, because he always thought it was hilarious. And I'd every quarter, he he would be like, so, so what's what are you doing? Are you going to get a class this? this quarter or whatever and i'm like dave it's a brand new quarter right <laughs> and every every time after about the i would usually fall apart about the second or third week and i'd start skipping class i'd start staying up too late and then i'd sleep through my early classes and then and then i just then i just go to straight to library and i start doing you know my problem sets or working on papers or whatever and then i just start skipping more and more classes because i hadn't been in a while felt awkward and then it'd be like i'd show for the midterm in fifth week and people were like are you still in this class you know? It's going to be tough because if, if he does do that, you're going to be like, he's just like me. But at the same time, you're going to be like, don't do that. Don't do that. But it's going to be like, that's exactly what I, I did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, even if class is kind of, I mean, 
I always found, I found a lot of my classes kind of dumb in the sense that a lot of the stuff was in the book and it was kind of inefficient. Yeah. I felt class was inefficient for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just like to read the read the read it read or learn from the book as opposed to sitting down and listening to to some postdoc writing a bunch of proofs on the board. You know, just like it just just bored me to death. And I felt like you know I don't have I only have so much time. I'd rather just go and work on my problems. That's that was a mistake because what happens is you become kind of untethered to what the professor is thinking, the direction he's taking in the class because they're not always the material they're covering in class isn't one hundred percent correlated with. The, what's in the book mm-hmm. you know it's like depending on the professor it's anywhere between 60 and 90 percent right so the professor is or is emphasizing certain topics certain material certain problems whatever and if you haven't been there been there in three weeks you have no idea you're just studying everything you're doing everything equal weighting where they're saying look this is a really important result this is an important yeah. theorems you need to be able to think about this in this way you missed the key that missed the key you know what this this discussion reminds me of something which i haven't mentioned on the show so far um we're pregnant you're georgie's pregnant <laughs> georgie's pregnant <laughs> which uh I, I just realized that we haven't we haven't spoken on the, on the show about that yet have we no. so she's just about 15 weeks pregnant yeah well stage. congratulations well obviously i've said congratulations for, for <laughs> a number of times because i've known for a while now yeah but that's that's awesome but so well, the great thing about this is that uh i'll be able to have some of these same experiences that you've been discussing about colby yeah in another 10 years yeah <laughs> 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 that's the only issue <laughs> yeah it's got a ways to go but yeah you're, you'll be going the baby stuff for you know a few years which is- yeah I mean, people keep on saying the first three months are like you don't get much sleep well it depends i mean some people are really lucky with yeah. babies that sleep. well you know when they're really young they have to the, the babies have to nurse every so you know ever couple hours or whatever and yeah. some women have, have the baby sleep with them for the first month or sleep in a bassinet right next to the bed and yeah, you know, so yeah. The, and like sandy wouldn't wake me up right because i just dealt with i'm it, a yeah. hard sleeper i'm a heavy sleeper so yeah. i just slept it didn't wake me up she she you know she would the baby would wake her up and she would feed the baby and go to sleep and i was just it kind of makes sleep. sense i mean if you're the main you're you're the only one bringing in money in the family right that's right so you didn't make any sense for me. I mean, that's what yeah. it is. It's like, yeah. there are... If you're, if you're working and you're, you're the one bringing money and you're completely... You've, you've only had two hours sleep the night before, that could be quite difficult. Yeah, and, and, and you see, this, I see this happen all the time. You know, and I know this is a sensitive area for people, but I'll just give my two cents on it. As I do. So <laughs> you'll get in situations where a lot of wives will be like, well, I want this to be equal. We both should be getting up. And it's about emotional support and all this kind of stuff. Okay, fine. Then here's what happens. So after like you know, a few weeks of that or whatever, you start seeing that, you know, the, the mom either doesn't work or is on maternity leave usually. And so, she, and so she doesn't have to use her brain to solve problems. She can, you know, she's going to be tired, but you know, it doesn't depend on her being able to think as clearly at that right. period of time where the guy usually is working and he has to use his brain all day for 10 days. <laughs> and so after, and after a few weeks, the, the wife will be like, yeah, this is stupid for you to be waking up. You're not functional. This is not... You know, and having a guy just stand there like, oh, you want to give you a towel? I mean, she's just like, you're just a big oaf. Go to sleep. You know, you right. stay in my way. And that's usually what happens is like, it starts off like, oh, we're going to do this as a team. And then eventually well, it starts to make... To- and then the realization of the inefficiency of it. It's just because it's inefficient. It's just inefficient. It's I mean, I was talking to uh, Georgie's dad. She was saying that, that that both of their girls... He was saying both of their girls... They had colic, so they they needed a lot of like kind of hand holding and just like you know 
uh, I don't know what that was, rocking. Yeah. 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 Right. So I, and he said he did a lot of that, you know, in, in, in the nighttime. I mean, that seems, it, 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 I look, guess it's different every, with everyone. Yeah? Every baby's different. Every couple's different. Yeah. And, but, all, but I'm telling you, one thing is for sure, which is kind of true in life in general, is that you have all these ideas of how it's going to be. It's and con- I'm sure Georgie has these ideas of how it's going to be and what you're going to do and what she's <laughs> going to do. And then life will hit and then things will just kind of hit a, a different, a range that actually works for you guys, right? And, but the, well, one thing you have to do, though, is you have to go in with a really positive attitude and like, I'll help you do whatever you want to do, right? And Well, we've been, we, you know what, we've been going to restaurants and basically thinking, we're probably never going to be going to restaurants again, you know, <laughs> for the next five years or something. Right. You know, because I guess it's just, you know, life is different once you have a kid, right? Well, okay, so... Um, when the baby is young, up to a certain number of months, you can just take them in their carrier, and they're usually kind of quiet. You can take them to you'll you'll like oh, oh, this right, is great. Right. Like you can actually go out to eat with friends and stuff. And we did that. And I've talked to a lot of people. Mark and Kate, my friend Mark yeah. and his wife Kate, they they're like, oh yeah, like you know, up to like I don't know, what six months or eight months. Like, but then at a certain point, that stops. Like the like we would take Colby. I remember one time we went to a restaurant, and he just would not stop crying. I had to go outside. I'm outside rocking him outside, and Sandy's in the restaurant and it was just a nightmare and after one or two of those incidents you're just like okay this is not i don't want the that baby anymore. is beyond the point where it's just going to sleep quietly yeah you know um and uh but then you know and then it really comes down to like how much you trust someone watching kid do you have like a grandmother grandparents or maybe an aunt or maybe maybe you have a babysitter that you trust in which case you can go out to eat but a lot of what will happen is, at least this happened with Sandy, and I've seen it happen with a lot of other women, is that they become very, uh, they become unwilling and distrustful of anyone else watching their baby. Huh. Right? Like, all of a sudden, Interesting. Like, like, the baby's just all theoretical now yeah. to you guys. Well, once the baby is real, and she bonds with it, she bonds with it, she's like, nobody's touching this baby, and no one's, well, I'm not going out. You know, it takes a, it takes a lot of time before she's going to be willing to, like, to leave the baby with somebody for three or four hours. I was just, they have an ad on Hulu at the moment, and basically, it shows that, and it shows, it shows the mom, and, and then her first daughter says, can I hold the baby, mommy? And she goes, okay, and she, get, like, kind of gets out some hand detergent, and, like, kind of wipes the cat the kid's hands clean and like says all right be careful be careful and then it's it says your first kid and then it says the second kid she's she's basically in a garage there's a car mechanic there and he says oh can i hold the baby and she's like yeah sure yeah (laughs) basically apparently like the the number of kids that you have it changes did it change for sandy yeah by the by the you know, but, and it happens. I mean, the, you, it's you, like what you're just describing as a metaphor earlier on in the yeah, show. Yeah, You become more and more laid back and relaxed. <laughs> the only kids like you can tell when you're at a playground and it's, it's the, the, the husband and wife's first baby. Cause they're like really <laughs> nervous and like, they're just so overprotective and, and you can tell when someone has like three or four kids, they're like, yeah, like, where's your kid? Like, I don't know. I was right here somewhere you know? <laughs> because, because you just realize like they're pretty resilient. And the worst is going to happen. They're going to, you know, not much is going to go wrong in a in an environment like a like a playground and stuff. You just become much more relaxed, you know. But it's like you have all these worst case scenarios going because this is the most precious thing to you in this world, and this is very delicate thing. This baby, you feel like it could just, you know, look at the wrong way, and it's going to get something bad's going to happen to it. But then after a while, you realize they're not quite that delicate, at least once over a certain age, and you just start to chill out. 
What? You also just become tired. You become exhausted, and you're just like, you know what? Whatever. Well, when I think about myself, like what I used to do when I was young, hmm? like one of my favorite things to do was to climb on roofs. I really like doing it for whatever reason. Yep. It's basically incredibly dangerous. <laughs> and when I start thinking about my own kids doing something like that, I'm like, Yeah, oh. we all do that. And you're going to freak out. You're going to be overprotective <laughs> and neurotic about it. And you're going to drive yourself crazy. And you and Georgie are going to be freaked out about every little thing. And then after a while, you'll start to relax. And then if you have another baby. Right. Another, and then you just like, you just don't have enough mental energy to worry to be that too, much. to be too worried you know and it's, it's like actually better for the kids it's been proven to be better for the kids when parents are overprotective and they're neurotic and they're just you know all these things are just not really good for kids kids mm. need a little space they need an opportunity they have to fall down and get hurt they have to make mistakes mm. they have to learn and when they when you take all those learning opportunities away you, you'd rather have them fall off a three or four a three or four foot play thing and get a bruise and cry for 10 minutes then not learn those things and then they do it when they're 10 or 11 and they and they like haven't learned that it hurts when you're not well they have to eat dirt as well apparently so that they can get the um bacteria in them the good bacteria yeah i mean there's been like you read about the things like parents will have these dirt play dates kids getting dirt because kids who don't get in the dirt (laughs) they don't build same immunities or kids that don't grow up with animals tend to have more allergies and stuff Mm -hmm. and you know i don't i don't i'm not an expert do you do that with your kids we've always had cats dirt play dates my, my kids are plenty. My kids get so dirty when I take them. I have these two girls. My, the girls are just filthy. Like, I always take them in. I call Sandy. I'm like, run away home. We might as well start wearing that bath because they are, you don't want them sitting on the furniture. They are just... That's yeah. hilarious. So my kids are known to be like the loudest kids at the playground. And they just, they just are... I can't imagine crazy. where they got that from. Yeah. Well, so anyway, I, all, all I'm saying, I think, you, you know, just to sum it up, it's not going to be quite what you imagine. It'll be fine. Your guys are going to be uptight at first and neurotic. It will slowly, as you be, as you get worn out and used to it, and you realize that it isn't quite as delicate as that. All that you'll relax and it'll be a little easier. So, but yeah, congratulations, though. I'm excited for you. It Thanks. Be, I mean, I like when I was single, or when Sandy and I were married, we didn't have kids. Our life was great, but and it's not. It's not like there was anything missing from our life, but when you once you have kids, you look back and that time feels kind of hollow. Right, right. In, in yeah. comparison. Yeah. It just feels I can imagine that. Like uh wow, well, you know. Well, because you've got this thing that you think of as more than yourself. You know, you'd put this child ahead of yourself, you know, you feel unselfish about it and you would never really feel like that before that point. Yeah, the best thing I could I could compare it to is like, you know, comparing the first time you fell in love to like how you felt before you ever fell in love before mm-hmm. and like if you've never fallen in love with someone you're like i don't you you don't really know what it's like and you can't really imagine your you, life is good but then after mm-hmm. you're like oh my god like I, my life was sort of right right like I, you know and so it's it's like that it's a whole different thing but it's sort of like that yeah i don't know so um you got any uh any interesting stuff to talk about interesting stuff to talk about oh so uh, that was kind of funny so guy own um Guyon's company that he was working for, Loop, basically went out of business. Hmm. And he he, they were, he was sort of put on this temporary, all the workers were put on this temporary hiatus where the, the company said, all right, well, if we close this deal, then we'll still alive and we'll call everybody back to work. But for the next week, you just go on unpaid leave yeah. or something. And But eventually found out that they didn't sign the contract and the company died. So they didn't get it. No, so... 
Gion was trying to figure out like, okay, so they're, they're living in Oslo and they're going to move back in June after the kids finish the school year, they're going to move back to London. And he's like, you know, trying to figure out what to do about consulting work. Mm-hmm. And it looks like I was able to throw him something, some, some guys approached me about doing a project for them. This big, well, you're getting, I mean, you get so, so much. I mean, because I know that's what I course. told him. I said, well, I said, dude, don't worry about it. Trust me. It's going to be fine. I mean, literally, if you want consulting work or a project or something, just come, come sit in the bat cave right. on my couch and bring a book. Oh, so he's going to come to America. No, I'm just saying, oh, yeah, I mean, right. all you got to do, you know, um, that would be cool. Metaphorically is yeah. just sit on my couch and I'm like, just hang out. Trust me, something's going to come in. There's a project or multiple projects oh, will definitely. arise. Yeah, yeah. And you do not have to stress because I, the reason I have too much stuff is, is because I get deluged by stuff. Most of the time I say no, but when you get that much stuff coming out, you eventually go, oh, okay, I'll help you out. Or, okay, that sounds kind of cool. And then all of a sudden you're like, holy crap, why am I doing all this stuff? <laughs> so anyway, it looks like there's one project, a, a mobile project, which looks like it could be fun. It looks like there could be a lot of, you know, kids looks like he'd make some really good money and it just, it's like, it could be perfect. Right. And What's then, he going to use titanium? Uh, I think he's actually going to use, um, Xamarin, which is a .NET, uh, cross-platform development okay. where you can develop, you can build Android and, um, Android and iOS apps yeah. for, um, I mean, I don't know for sure. I think that's what he, I, that's what I recommended to him. I think he had heard of Xamarin and I know he, he's an expert with C Sharp and .NET. Oh, great. I okay. think he would prefer to use that than uh, Titanium. I've heard about that. I've heard about that. I mean, I don't know how mature it is and how I'm good sure it is. I'm sure it's going to be the same where you have to fork, you know, with Titanium, you have to fork your code. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just a nature when you have, when, when the just different platforms US. you're building for are slightly different. Yeah, you just yeah, can't yeah. do everything the same. So, but. Cool. Um, so why did you, why did you bring it up? To, well, I just thought it was cool. I mean, it was just so. I just thought it was kind of funny how how much stuff just keeps coming. And I yeah. just said, and I told him, I said, and then another project, you know, was coming away. And I was like, look, guy, on if this thing doesn't work out, and it looks like it probably is, don't worry. <laughs> I have another one for you that I don't want to. I don't have time to even think about. It. I don't want to be involved in. I just want to just you know give it to you or whatever. But. Um, it, you know, so it's just, it's kind of nice to have that kind of inflow of things. So there's this other thing. I, I can't go into details about it uh, yet, but there was these, I'll just say they're billionaires. Like they're currently a couple billionaires or close to billion, hundreds of millions, worth hundreds of millions of billions. And they have this, and they want to meet me and I'm going to go to some private, uh, penthouse part like like uh, like a club it's a private club because a lot of famous like world famous actors and musicians go to these places so that these these private exclusive private clubs so there's no paparazzi no one can take like their their pictures their vine and put you know all of a sudden you're on you know social media how did this connection come to you? Just through through the email, through a blog post? No, through playing basketball. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, where I told you it's like, but like, like, I, I got to like, why why would billionaires? Well, it, was, want, it came from a link up. Oh, go, go on. I mean, why would billionaires? I mean, presumably they're billionaires. There's two ways you can become a billionaire, right? Through inheritance or through becoming pretty successful. Yeah, these aren't inheritance guys. These are okay. So, uh, from so, my understanding, so it, it, to make that much cash, they must be pretty, you know, high up in a company already or some companies. No, they 
they own companies. When you when you're worth hundreds of millions, you don't high, high up in a company. Using right. this is like Goldman Sachs, but you own multiple companies. But if you own companies, like why are you looking for an individual developer? I mean, how? how what is I the context? I have no idea. Well, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go meet these guys. I mean, on it's, Monday or Tuesday night, I'm going to get the address and the time. I can't wait to find it. sounds two, so fishy. I can't wait to find out what this no, is. No, it's not. I already talked to, um, I already talked to one of the guys. He's a, he, one of the guys who's the connection to them. He's yeah. the, he's a CEO of a major internet company you've heard of. Okay. Very much. I mean, this is, there's nothing fishy. And about so it's it. through, it's through basketball. So nice the, so it's it's a double connection right so the the initial connection is a guy i play basketball with a group of guys a lot of them who are who whose kids go to this private school called poly yeah right by caltech and poly is kind of like the elite it is like the elite private school in the Pasadena area okay so this school has a lot of money so the the dads uh, so a lot of the dads are successful in one way or another yeah right so um you know i my buddy tom who he, he has his own company, One World Direct, which I've done some work for. And he's, he's a good buddy of mine. And so he brought me in to play on Sunday nights. And uh, I've been playing these guys for like a year, year and a half. And, you know, a lot of times you're sitting around joking around about stuff and people hear about what you're doing or, you know, they only know vaguely what you do. And then they're like, hey, Jason, I heard you just this stuff for Uber or you like wrote code. Could you, could you get Oh, yeah, it's a good point. That, that would be very impressive to uh, any billionaire. Basically, this guy wrote the Uber backend. Yeah, which is, yeah, so I, I guess that turns out to be kind of a calling card or whatever. Right, nice. Um, but as I've, as I've mentioned before, like, a lot <laughs> of the opportunities happen, to, like, not because of blog the blog post or the podcast. They become from people that I meet, my kids at the park. It's just you. basketball, just out in the world. I mean, you are just, you, you just, uh, you are a spigot. It's weird. Unstoppable. It's weird. It's so funny. <laughs> well, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. <laughs> like, so I was getting, like, you have a much more, well, because you don't have kids now and you're married, and you're, and you're married, but you have, a, you have a very pretty simple life in terms of you kind of have, you work with Digidoo, mm-hmm. you help out with Catalyst one day a week, do the podcast, which is a lot, a lot more than most people do. Most people have their job and they just come home, mm-hmm. right? And you, go out, you guys go out to dinner. But I'm involved in so much, so many different things, whether it's being on the board of the HOA or running the soccer team or coaching Kobe's teams or coaching the it's match much bigger luck surface area. Playing back. I mean, like there's so many different people I run into through the week and I could go through a whole other list of things that are just like I'm involved in. And when you run into that many people and, 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 and you're like me, I just talk to people about everything. Well, then yeah. it just opportunities happen. It's, I it's think kind so, of yeah. a version of Lux Surface Area. Yeah. It, it, no, it is. It's definitely Lux Surface Area. It's real world Lux Surface Area. But I mean, the other thing is, you could put me in all the exact same situations as you, and I don't think as many opportunities would arise for me because I'm just grumpier. I don't really want to talk to people. Like, yeah. I'd rather they just didn't talk to me, you know? So. Yeah. No, that's true. I have like, yeah, no, I, I, because I'm always really interested in what people are doing. I'm always yeah. interested in what people's lives are like and what they think about things. So I always get into deep conversations with people and I start asking lots of stuff. And so we have like fun conversations and then that opens, then people feel comfortable with you. I mean, I'm not doing it for the reason that I just am interested. Like I start mm-hmm. talking to someone and they're like, I'm like, oh, what do you do? It's like, oh, like I'm a script coordinator for the TV show house. Oh, that's cool. What's that like? You know what I mean? Just like yeah. random people you know and uh, and then you just get these interesting conversations with them people do also quite interesting stuff around this area around los angeles and LA. i mean 
Well, it's particularly in Pasadena because yeah. it's not homogenous. If we're in West LA, it's like everybody be in the film business. Mm-hmm. If you're up in San Francisco, everybody's in a tech startup or tech company. If you're in New York, a lot of people are in fa- finance or fashion or something. You know, I mean, it's just sort of you, you keep running into more people do the same thing. You know, Pasadena, it's like it's not an echo chamber. It's completely. Um, it's very extremely varied. People come here because they want to. They really want to be. They they like this st- the style, the lifestyle. I guess I don't know why people are here. I mean, there are people are probably different reasons. Some people, a lot of people, grew up here. Or for part, I mean, I don't even know if there's a if you could really even say why people are here. But it's that's one of the reasons I like Pasadena or other places like Pasadena, where it's just you don't run into you don't have the same damn conversation with people all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I always feel that way when I go to San Francisco a little bit, even though it's. I, it's stuff that I'm interested in, and a lot of the people I know up there are, are very smart and interesting people. People are all kind of reading and thinking a lot of the same stuff, right? You know, and yeah, so that's that is an echo chamber. As definitely. you know, for me, I, I have a lot of varied interests, so I don't like to talk about the same stuff all the time. It bores me. Mm-hmm. Any whatever it is that I'm doing, I just like I can't I can't keep um, whatever. So so anyway, that'll be interesting. So I'm gonna have. At least a couple of those meetings next week. And I, I don't even know why because I'm way overbooked. But I was like, you know, it's probably worth. Well, I got on the phone. So I had a conference call today with two of the guys, <laughs> or what, the, 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 my connection and the, and the other sort of other connection. So it's like a two step. And then we had like a 15 minute call. He's like, look, I just want to explain how this works. And we're going to go to this private club and these guys and all this stuff. And they want to talk to you about this. And so I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> sounds like a, it sounds like a movie. Let's see what happens. Yeah, that is fun. No, no, t- I'm interested to see what happens with that. Yeah, well, that's what Sandy was like. She, <laughs> she's like, well, she's like all for it. She's like, do you have anything to wear? I said, look, I asked the guy. And, you know, no, you I, don't. She's like, well, all you ever wear is that co- cobalt t-shirt and those shorts. So you got to get wear something. jeans and sandals right. and a t-shirt. And uh, so I asked the guy, I'm like, do I have to, what's the dress code? And they're like, yeah, we just wear jeans and a t-shirt. Well, actually, it, that's that's an interesting thing. I mean, th- there is definitely a point where you people become so wealthy that actually they dress down, but just with really expensive stuff. So you can't really tell the difference. They don't care anymore. What they, they don't, yeah, they they don't, don't care. need to impress they're, they're, anybody. Yeah, exactly. They yeah. are way beyond fuck you money. Exactly. You know, they're exactly. like, I don't give a shit money. It's too <laughs> you know? much. Yeah, I do exactly what I want, exactly how I do it. It's, it's, it's the people, it's the professional class that services this group or the companies owned by this group. You know, the lawyers and the accountants and the executives and the yeah. marketers and the lobbyists and politicians. Those are people who wear suits They'll and dress, dress up. up. Yeah. So, you know, that group at the very it's top, the new level. they don't really... It's like Steve Jobs wearing, you know, crappy sneakers. It doesn't matter. Do whatever he He doesn't wants. care, right? Nobody, and, you know, he's going to say anything or, you know, because it's, yeah. So I'm like, all right, great, because I don't know anything. Because <laughs> Sandy was sort of strategized. She's like, I don't know what you're going to wear. She's like, you can't, you can't, you know, she's thinking of the shirts I have. You could tell, I could see her going through her mind like, no, you're not wearing that. No, you're not wearing that. And so she could, she knows all of them? Oh, she knows everything. Oh, wow. Well, she's the one who, pa- every time we go somewhere, she's the one who packs for me. And she's like, all right, I picked out your stuff. Why don't you give me your approval? <laughs> That's yeah. hilarious. Now, I'm really interested to find out what, what the discussion is about there. Yeah, that should that should be. Yeah. I mean, they probably have some crazy idea. I mean, well, there's two. Yeah, there's there's. I know I know an outline of one of the ideas, but then he said, "Look, there's another guy I want you to meet. He runs some multi billion dollar hedge fund, and I want you to have dinner with him next week. And he wants to meet you." I'm like, okay. I'm really I'm I'm interested to see how you know kind of unrealistic their expectations of you know building that 
bringing that into reality is if it's a complex idea, if it's a simple idea, it's like some really big uh, the project. Yeah, the one. I mean, the outline of the first idea I heard sounds, you know, just doable. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, cool. uh, you know, it's doable, and I don't know. Well, well like I said, I hear more about it. I'm not sure how much <laughs> I could talk about. I could probably just talk around it like I'm yeah, doing now. Yeah, no. but oh, um, no, don't worry. That's that's good too. You just, of course, you'll get the you'll get the inside. Oh, I'll get the inside. Yeah, you <laughs> listeners at home won't get to hear anything, but I'll know everything. Yeah. In fact, as soon as we stop recording this show, I'm going to say, Jason, tell me about that. Oh, you know, one thing I want to talk about. Just go back to the math team thing for a second. Yeah. So, um, the I was I was looking up. I don't know how I came across this. I was on this. What was I looking at? I was just doing some random Google searches. Christmas stuff related to the math theme. And I ended up on this uh, website called Wizant, W-Y-Z-A-N-T. Oh, yeah, you're talking like about this. This site. sounds very cool. It's like a tutor site for w- Wizant, W-Y-Z-A-N-T. And, and I think they just brought, bought, yep. W-Y-Z-A-N-T. They just bought Tutor yep. Spree. Yeah. Um, and Tutor Spree was one of the sites that we kind of looked at when we were first developing the idea any of any food, we yeah. said, okay, well, how do they structure their website? What's their flow? And they, they actually wasn't, theirs didn't work so well for us, but I remember we looked at it anyway. So one of the guys there who were, because they, they, if you have a profile, you're a tutor, you can also write like little blog posts. Yeah. Right. And, um, and so, um, one guy was talking about how he was super accelerating some kids. He's like, you know, I have a few kids that I tutor, um, who are gifted and can remove much, much faster than normal curriculum. Mm-hmm. He's like, I was able to get them from through arithmetic to calculus in two years. And uh, so I was like, that's amazing. He's like, I have, I have you know, um, certain methods and materials and resources I use, online games and all kinds of different things that he uses. Mm-hmm. And he's like, contact me for, for, you know, if you'd like to know more. So I, e- I emailed him and I'm like, I want to hear what you're doing. I'd love it if you have time to talk. Yeah. I actually said, hey, I'd love to bring you on the show. Oh, because that because someone said we should get an educator on an the educator. show. But you can't just get a regular teacher. teacher a regular no, no, no. going to be all. It's all going to be conventional wisdom, and and, and 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 there's nothing more boring than listening to people say exactly what you predicted they were going to say. Right. You know. But this guy sounds like he's hacking the system. Like, well, how the hell do you do that? Like, I mean, is it doable? I mean, what age kids? I mean, how many hours are they working? Too many hours. So is, wh- they really does he have a big it? trick? Did he already say? Uh, I, I haven't talked. I do, so we're going to talk tomorrow. He's going to um, give me a call tomorrow. And then I came across another guy who he's also said he specializes in, he says he calls a math acceleration specialist. Yeah. And he he said as an example, his own kid, he, he was having his own kid doing algebra at age five and calculus at age seven. And he has a video of his kid, you know, doing some stuff on the whiteboard. And when he was six, doing some algebra stuff, doing quadratic equation stuff. And look, wow. I don't, I mean, I think that's a little extreme. <laughs> and the kid might be like super gifted. I mean, there's a difference between being gifted and, you know, having 135, 140 IQ and having like 180 IQ, right? I mean, 180 IQ of kids that speak five languages by the time they're 10 and <laughs> you know, go to college when they're 12, that kind of stuff. But... Don't and, they kind of level out those those kind of what prodigy prod, prodigies? Well, prodigies, most. Prodigies. I mean, according to I mean, I I know that Malcolm Gladwell talked about this in Outliers, and I think this is I've read some other not only studies about it, but articles about they just studies end up like normal people. Well, no, I mean they're they're bright, yeah, but 
when you think of a lot of the world-class performers and whatever it is, rarely were they child prodigies when they were like seven or eight years right, old. Right, right, yeah. Stuff. They usually, in the top 10%, they had talent for sure. I mean, they weren't just average. They had, but they had just enough talent and they just had the passion and work ethic and they had the support structures around them. They were, you know, they, they just, they had this burning desire to be great at this thing, you know, whether it was music or art or or sports or whatever, and they had parents or people, adults around them that helped them realize that potential. They're like the fine wine that matured over 15 years versus the Beaujolais Nouveau that just takes one year to get out there. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, look, I'm sure there are exceptions to this rule, you know, Um, but, you know, but some of these kids, um, some of these kids, I think... You know, they do kind of, you know, rarely do they come like a Nobel Prize winning, winning physicist or something, you know. A lot of them will go to college and, you know, they're 13 or something like that. And they go on and they get, sometimes some of them get PhDs. And, you know, I seem like a lot of them, for some reason, become doctors, like actually become medical doctors. I've seen, it's like, I've seen like, I've, like half the ones that I've ever read about, like they, they do advanced math and science stuff, but then they go and they become medical doctors. Where really it doesn't matter whether you're a super genius or just kind of smart. I mean, yeah. anything above just having 120 IQ would be more than sufficient to be a, you know, a really high quality doctor. Well, who, uh, I always love the, who's the author who did that? Who became the doctor and then said, I don't know, I'm just going to become an author instead. Was it Gr- Grisham or something? Uh, he was, a, I think Grisham was a, an attorney. There's, That's why I write so much about the law. There's some, there's, oh, there's you're one talking author. About Crichton. Yeah. Michael Crichton. I That's think. the one, right. Yeah, and so he was a doctor and decided, oh, that's it. I just want to be an author instead. Yeah, you see that happen all the time. You know, people yeah. go in one direction, and well, like both of these tutors were like, like the one guy who's who became a a uh, math acceleration specialist. He calls calls himself. He was a derivatives trader, so he he actually won a bunch of these math contests. Like he like won the New Jersey state championship. So he's yeah. a super bright guy, and when I think he didn't get a PhD, like he got a uh, maybe undergrad, maybe a master's in like math or something. And then he went and did became a derivatives trader. So it was kind of like me. Like I was going to go to a PhD in math. I got sidetracked into doing research development for the derivatives trading industry. And then mm-hmm. I went down the entrepreneurial path. And I think that happens to a lot of people who could have become scientists, but they just kind of got sucked into something that was intellectually interesting and profitable yeah, and yeah. challenging. Um, you know, it wasn't like they go on there flipping burgers for a living, but they're like, well, you know, I can go and, 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 and sweat sweat away in academia and making nothing and, and then being like a, an adjunct lecturer or something and getting paid nothing with no tenure track. Or I can go and make half a million dollars a year building model, trading models or maybe millions of dollars potentially. So a lot of people like that. So anyway, he was like that, but now he just does tutoring. And it's kind of interesting. He, I bet you, and I've seen this happen, like where people will, they'll make a fair chunk of change and they're like, you know what? I really just like teaching. Mm. Like, I don't really have to do this other stuff. Might be happening with you. I mean, you are literally in the middle of that transition right now. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, I really enjoy teaching the kids math. It is really fun. <laughs> um, I like it a lot more than teaching programming. I and mean, you and I were talking about this after yeah. us. Programming, teaching kids programming is pretty exhausting and kind of frustrating at times because they keep forgetting a lot of the stuff. And that might be, as we've talked about. It's the age. Well, it's partially the age, but it's just that we only do it once a week and there's no homework, so they forget everything. Yeah. But 
the math by virtue there's no technology to barriers to work there's no the wi-fi isn't working or the computers none of those problems um and it's less about remembering syntax and there's it's less like you have to like in programming you have there's so much surrounding context well for you personally it just must be a much more positive feedback loop to to teach that because you're just because of uh, there's so much so there's far fewer barriers and pains pain points and just it's more pleasurable to like oh they get it they get it they get it it's this kind of consistent feedback loop that's bringing something good to you it is versus um trying to teach computing which is as, as you say much harder yeah, I mean, it is. It, 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 so, like, what was really fun in class, um, we were trying to teach them um, algebraic formulas. So, we, Sandy said, all right, here's the algebraic formula. Here are the input numbers, like a table. Here are three yeah. input numbers. What's the output number? Right? Yeah. 5, 9, and 15. And so, the, the algebraic equation is 3x plus 7. And then, so, what is 5? Well, that's 15 is 22, you know, in the, each one. So, they got that sense. And so I did that for a while, and I was standing in the back room, because Sandy and I take turns lecturing. Like, I'll, I'll explain, you know, some stuff. She'll explain some things. And I said, um, <coughs> excuse me. I said, I said, so let, me, let me try this. And I go, all right, guys, here are the inputs. Here are the outputs. What's the equation? <laughs> and I had, my first one was like 2n two, two minus 1. And they all looked at blanket. And then they're like, oh! And they were raising their hand like, I got it, I got it. And then it was like 3n minus 2. And th- I was going different variations like that. And then it was like 3n minus 2 or 3n minus 1 divided by 2. Anyway, it was just really impressive seeing them figure that out mm-hmm. and how excited they got. And they were like pretty like jumping out of their seats and stuff and, uh, you know, trying to be the first. And I mean, all it was just like one or two kids. And they were getting it. Yeah. And it was funny. I was like explaining like... Um, like adding decimals, because normally they don't do adding and subtracting, multiplying decimals in fourth grade. That's fifth grade. Um, but I, I just, you know, there's a few things that I've just irritated they don't know because there's certain things I want to do and I can't <laughs> do it if they can't, if they can't deal with decimals and they can't deal with fractions. Um, so I just started teaching them and they were like, oh, they picked it up in, you know, two minutes. That's cool. And then they're like, well, how do you multiply them? I'm like, all right, guys, hold on, hold on. We're not doing that thing. <laughs> so there's stuff. But they were done like, what's a square root? What's, I'm like, guys, we're not doing square roots today, but they were they were excited to learn. They wanted to move faster. So cool. It's exciting. And I'm definitely, it's, I, I definitely have sort of the madness about it. <laughs> the one thing that I have to, I'm sort of figuring out now is when it's too much. Because I think we, we assigned a little too much homework the last two times. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I noticed when I was going to homework yesterday, I'm like, it was more than we needed to, ha- we needed to have. And it's like, we really should only have the kids do 15 minutes, 20 minutes tops per night, not a half hour. Yeah. It's too much. And it's because they already have schoolwork and we're not, they are, they're not yet exempted out of their other math class. Yeah. And I just got an email from the mom. She's like, you know, I think it's maybe backfiring it's a little too much. And it's, it's true, right? I'm like, I, as I realized it was doing with Colby, like he certainly doesn't like doing a lot of homework. Yeah. Right. And I realized he only needed to do three or four of the problems and he, he got it. Like he doesn't need to do Yeah, well, you've said that. You've said that. I mean, basically, once they just do a couple of problems, it proves that they get it and that's it. Yeah, but they need to come back a couple of days and do a couple more or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, but you don't need to do it. So anyway, it's just figuring that out. Like, how do, you, how do we get this right? Like, how do we give them enough reinforcement because they actually can learn it and they don't forget it, but then it's not too much to where they're burnt out and they're like, I don't want to do this. This is just a pain. Yeah. But anyway, you're, I'm, I'm, as you can tell, the reason I keep talking about it is because I'm all right. Well, I got a good one to to send us out on. Oh, you do. Okay. It's it's um, it's really. I mean, once again, just looking for your uh, your thoughts on it. But um, did you see the one about 
uh, media blacks out the new Snowden interview the government doesn't want you to see. Did you see that? I did. I, you know what? I, I saved a link to it to watch it, but I haven't. Had I mean, of, I mean, we know what it's going to say, but I think the point is, is um, they're saying this past Sunday evening, former NSA contractor Edward Snowden sat down for an interview with German television television network. And the interview has been intentionally blocked from the U.S. public with virtually no major broadcast news out. Let's cover the story. What, what, which site was that on? Uh, this is on um, benswan.com. Right, okay. But the other thing is that they say that he says that it's it's been removed from YouTube. You know, whenever someone puts it up, it's like pulled down. So it's like whack-a-mole on YouTube. Yeah, so I think, <clears throat> I, I think you have to be careful about when they say it's been blacked out. You know, like... Because it might give the impression there's some coordinated effort or something, which may, that may not be the case. It may be the case that that a lot of these media uh, outlets just don't think that... It's not an interesting story anymore. It's oversaturated. Well, it's just that, okay, I think one, some of the mainstream media do get pushback from, go- from uh, White House and Pentagon officials if they want continued access to those people. Mm-hmm. Because they're like, look... This guy's making us look bad. He, in our eyes, he's enemy number one. You know, you're giving him a platform to talk. So next time you want to come talk to me about X, Y, and Z, just don't. Right? And they know that. That's an implied. They don't really have to be explicitly said. It's just implied. Right? So, you know, let's say that I'm a, I'm a journalist and you're the, my source and, and then I sell you out and I'm like coming to you a month later and I'm like, so what's, tell me about the stuff. You're like, yeah, dude, I'm like, you know, I don't want to talk to you. Right? Like you, yeah. keep, you have my enemy on there on the platform giving him opportunity so there's sort of that implied thing going on likely um and yeah i i think i saw that too about how it was removed from youtube but that stuff is always i hear that kind of stuff all the time and i think it's hard to prove exactly mm. you know i'm not saying it's not true i'm just saying you always have to be careful about things like how do you prove that there's been a media blackout right and so if you can't prove it then i guess the only way you can prove it's been knocked off youtube is you can show YouTube, but it's it, that's easy to fake. To be honest, it's easy to fake because you could just show, oh, it's on YouTube, and then you've got the URL address. Oh, now it's not on YouTube; it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, but you could just make up addresses, you know. Well, who did the interview? Uh, well, what was the source of the original? The, uh, the, it's German television the, network ARD. Der Spiegel. Yeah, ARD. Mm. Whatever that I don't is. Know what that is. So I, you know, I don't know, but I. <sighs> Let's see what the main point about on Hacker News. It had 186, uh, uh, 846 points on Hacker News. Yeah. I mean, do they have... Is there any... The main point is Reddit takedown of this stupid blog post, which gets uh, is number one. Of course, on the internet, it's not Occam's razor that controls, but Goodwin's, which states that among complete competing hypotheses, the hypothesis with the greatest dramatic implications must be selected. So obviously... It's bullshit. <laughs> well, it doesn't mean it's true. I mean, look, just because something is likely to be true, you know, doesn't mean it's true. That's why Occam, you always have to be careful of Occam's razor. Just because the simplest solution, while often the case, is the more accurate, is the more realistic or more, more, tends to be the right answer, isn't always true. Mm-hmm. Occam's razor isn't always true. Sometimes there is a more complicated explanation for something, Right. So you just you can't you can't rely on heuristics as an answer. You could just have it as a guidepost. Like, well, okay, if I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time thinking about this, I'll just take the simplest answer. It's probably true. But does my life depend on it? Do I have a lot of money at stake at this? 
Does my career depend on it? I better think a little harder than just going, well, I'm just going to follow heuristic blindly and say, well, it's a simple solution, so that's got to be the right answer. You know? I think I actually do think we should rename texting to the truth lies in the middle. <laughs> God. <laughs> it's going to be a last show. <laughs> oh, but, you know, actually, there's one other thing I wanted to bring up, which I thought was funny. Uh, there was this website called Eternamy. Where E T E R N I dot M E. Your eternal enemy? No, etern like eternity, like eternity for me. Like basically, oh, okay. What somehow? I, I mean, I was reading the the homepage or something like this, and it was somehow they collect all this information about you, social media, photos, yeah, like, and and as as much information as possible, so that like after you die. There's like a virtual you. Like that's what they're trying to do. <laughs> it's uh, it's think, like the arc, internet archive, but for you. Right. It's like yeah. Justin Vince's internet archive. But that there would actually be a an interactive avatar representing you. Like there could be the Justin iPhone app. The Justin Vincent iPhone app. Like I get open up and I'm like, hey, Justin, what's up? And you're like, ah, not much. You know, whatever. I mean, Did like you- it, it would basically <laughs> mimic your speech, your speech patterns, your the way you think, talking about the kind of things you talk, reacting to things, maybe how you might react to them. Like that's what they're trying to do. It's sort of like this, like this really sophisticated uh, virtual mimic. Isn't that weird? Where are they going to get the data? Where are they going to get data? But it reminds me of um, on YouTube, there's this there's this uh, page, this great thing that YouTube have. Basically, you go to it and it shows you your your history on YouTube with really kind of awe-inspiring music. And it, it they basically create the video, you know, on the fly. I, I don't know whether the video, they create the video on the fly or maybe they've got some batch process that creates the videos. But anyway, it's like a fully blown ad. Like it looks like a TV ad, but it's, it's, it brings in pictures of you on Facebook and what you've done. And it's, it's actually pretty good. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I, you've, you've heard people talk about like, like the life, like the kind of life blogging or like this sort of, these people who who collect statistics on everything about their life, like Steve Wolfram had done that, like right. thing, you know, how many day, steps do you walk in a day, and what are your patterns of movement, what food, oh, do you, the like self experimentation stuff, yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. So you could figure if you had all that kind of stuff, if something was recording all the things you were talking about and writing and the emails you're sending, I mean, maybe there would be enough information over after years. Yeah, but it, it, it wouldn't know what you were like as a person unless they had, I don't know, a podcast to to hear your inflection in your voice or something. Yeah, no, I, I think it would be pretty difficult to come up with anything that was anything other than like a parlor trick. You know how like sometimes you have these yeah. programs that's like a um, an expert system acting as a psych- psychologist? Yeah. You know? So how are you feeling today? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. It's like, you know, but it's it, it could be interesting if it was good enough where kind of like how people, you'll hear people say that like after a loved one passed away, they still have like a remaining like uh, voicemail message from them and they don't yeah, delete it. They yeah. can like hear their voice. And they, you know, it's like looking at a picture, but it's actually even more real than a picture or something. And uh, so you could see that like if they like, look, I can open up my Justin app. And even I know it's not you, it would kind of feel like you. And I'd be like, yeah, I could kind of have like kind of like our old podcast discussions, you know, and he's going to give some answers that I know are, are, are not really what he'd say because this is just a dumb app, but it would kind of feel like you, right? Like that would be like you could see that if it was good enough. Having I'm, I'm thinking kind of- it would be more interesting. I mean, I wonder what it's going to be like. Let's say a thousand years pass by like and. They're doing kind of research, you know, historical research about what society was like today. Like, would they be able to dig up something like that, you know, and make it work? 
and get an idea of today's society because of electronic records and yeah. translate them into their new systems. I don't think it's like it was like, you know, how like we're, you know, we try and, you know, historians try and gather information on what happened a hundred or a thousand years ago. And it's like, well, you have to have like, you know, you have limited number, limited amount of evidence. And you freak nowadays, like everything is stored. And it's just becoming more and more like that. I mean, there's videos and pictures yeah. and written records of everything. So it's not like, well, we have to like really try and figure out what was going on. It's like, no, we know everything. Like it's well, like but a- would would you really? I mean, a thousand years is a long time. I mean, you could, you know, there's lots of ways that the access. I mean, for example, would this house be buried under dirt that we're in yeah, right now? Yeah, but all you know the I mean? photos of the millions of houses and the all the millions of hours of TV shows and movies and pictures that reflect everything about everything that's going on. I mean, you get a pretty damn accurate depiction of what Well, not if there was on. like a thermo-global nuclear war. Well, I mean, you didn't say that the evidence got destroyed, but assuming that the, the Earth doesn't get destroyed, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's all there. It's, it's like everything's permanent now. Like, this is this will be on your permanent record, right? Well, like, that, you can pretty much say that that's life, That's right? a very optimistic viewpoint because uh, if you look at you know, how many civilizations are just buried under dirt, you know, like yeah. a lot, you know, a lot. I mean, what, why is our civilization so, well, so more special that it, it wouldn't be buried, just completely buried under dirt? Okay, well, you're having to, you know, if, if, if we destroy ourselves from a nuclear war or something like that, or just some giant, we get really unlucky and some giant asteroid comes and hits us before we, abil- we have ability to populate Mars or I other guess- things. Then even then you won't you don't need much because like even a fragment of a hard you know hard disk right you could get a lot of data off yeah. you know for some small section of the internet. I, I think barring a nuclear war or something like a massive yeah I mean I guess things could happen I mean I I, I don't think like viruses could wipe us out I think you could a lot of people could be killed if some kind of airborne Spanish flu kind of thing happened i mean you could you could imagine hundreds of millions of people dying but you know not six or seven billion likely and then you know you talk about like solar flares you think about those things or gamma ray bursts the zombie scenario that's unlikely (laughs) well speaking of that walking dead's coming back on yeah i know i can't wait excited about that um i suppose actually the internet archive right that that there there is i mean that's going to be in some server room that's probably like you know three stories underground as it is probably one of the safest places is where servers are stored these days i mean they 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 store servers in pretty safe places mm-hmm. yeah yeah i don't know like i don't i i still think that the 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 apocalypse of some kind is is is, is pretty unlikely mm-hmm. so i don't think in our lifetime yeah i just um i don't um, i don't think it's gonna happen maybe 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 it's maybe that's maybe i'm being overly optimistic maybe it's just like that whole thing where a guy's falling off the side of a building and halfway down he's like eh, so far so good okay i've got a good way to end the show what <sighs> will we ever get our order of soylent yeah what's the deal with that i don't know i'm just looking on the blog and they don't mention anything i mean I, they said oh it's gonna be it's gonna be in november oh we're gonna deliver it in december oh we're, we're gonna deliver it in in January, oh, we're going to deliver it in February. So I mean, at this stage, I'm like, they have no credibility. Like, it's probably not. They're probably going to like keep on pushing it back, and it won't even get here till December. You know, this year, right? Like these guys, you know, what these guys have learned. They've learned that creating products on a mass scale is bloody difficult. <laughs> That's what they've learned. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, and of course they're amateurs when it comes to it, right? Yeah, right, not, exactly. Not people who are professionals who were say 
executives in the food yeah, exactly in the food yeah. industry so they're like know how this is done they're like having to figure everything out for the first time yeah it's kind of like somebody who does how to code and they have an idea and they try to teach themselves a little php or luda Ruby. i know it's like so it's gonna take you two years to learn it's how a little to do harder it. than you think yeah like, you, yeah. yeah you like got this little proof of concept <laughs> app up where you do something like oh yeah it's i got it i built an app now i'm gonna do this other stuff and it's gonna do all these things like well it's a big difference in like your 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 one page or two page form to building you know this big full-scale web service so i guess their last blog post is soylent 1.0 final nutrition we received the final nutrition facts for soylent 1.0 this morning on the 27th of january so they have a nutrition facts and a, a thingy eh, maybe we'll see i'm looking forward to it coming i want to see if we'll uh if we'll lose any weight I know uh, you're looking to lose a few pounds. I do. I've been hovering at 200 for the past <laughs> year and a half, and it's, it's. I really need to. I really, at the very least, I need to be at 190, but I really should really be like at 185, 180. All right. So, yeah. Oh, and I we won. Uh, speaking of uh, being in shape, we won the we won the soccer championship. Last oh, you week. did. Oh, Again. great. Yeah, yeah. So Cobalt. Cobalt won the championship. So this is like our third or fourth championship over the wow. past two years. So great. We, we, <laughs> were you like a, were you playing on the on the day? I didn't play this one. I, I had um, pulled a calf muscle a few weeks back. So, okay. um, <clears throat> but you know, we've won like I think we've won three or four of the past two years. So we, we're usually in the running. We're either in the fi- we're either in the finals or we either win it or we've lost. I think we lost the semifinals. So you have more than one a year then, two a year. Well, actually, they run four. We won every every three months. There's a season every yeah three months. It's like the winter season. So it's yeah. funny. It's like we play a championship and it's like all right, guys, see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, we always joke with the team. We're like, oh, I'll see you next week. Like, it's not like we have victory. It's lap. not like a, yeah, right, like a right, ticker right. tape parade. It's like, yeah. oh, we got our championship. Yay. All right. But it's fun nonetheless. So, all right. So that's it, huh? We're done. We're good. You're, you're ready to go back into your nap, right? <sighs> all right. On that note, <laughs> that's a wrap. We're out. <laughs> <laughs>